0: Thank you there, worship team. Yeah. That was great. Well, good morning. Uh, we're going to jump right into God's Word, but before we do that, I would like to pray with you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear God, we have gathered here now, and we gather around your Word. And what we pray is that the power of your Holy Spirit would do for us what you have said it can do, which is take the truth, truth that originated in eternity, and bring it into our mind, into our hearts in a way that affects our lives. So God, makes things clear to us. Allow us to see you through a, through a clearer lens of your greatness and your goodness and your power to save. We pray this, Jesus, in your name and all God's people said, amen. Well, good morning. I, I have a question for you We're going to start right off with a little audience participation moment here, so get ready. The question is simply this. How many of you here would be willing to publicly acknowledge, and and as public as this is, I guess, how many of you would be willing to publicly acknowledge right here by responding in some way with an amen or a hand raised that you have been saved? How many of you would be willing? There you go. Amen. I know many of us here have been saved. I know some of you. And look, we have been saved from death. That is a big deal. That is why we are here. And we are grateful for that. God saves. God saves. Um, it is a tr- trustworthy statement that deserves our full attention that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners among whom i am foremost of all and he saved us not on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness but according to his mercy by washing of regeneration and renewing by the holy spirit god saves god redeems and our text for today is psalm 107 that is what this psalm is all about it's about the power of god to save so i would encourage you uh, if you have a Bible on your uh, you know, your phone or your iPad, if you want to grab one of those black hardcover Bibles that should be near you, a little trick about finding the Psalms in a real Bible is if you just open it up to the middle, likely a pretty good chance will be right there in the Psalms. And as you're turning to that, I want to uh, draw your attention to a commentary about this particular Psalm. The permanent significance of Psalm 107 lies in the variety of ways In which and from which the Lord redeems his people. And I will add this. As certainly as God has saved us, he still is saving us. As sure as God has saved us, he still is saving us. Practically what I mean by that is this. What we learn about redemption from Psalm 107 can be applied both both to that beautiful moment of when we first receive salvation and come to faith in Jesus Christ and, and to how God continues to demonstrate his love to us in saving us from the situations we still face. And yes, even after we come to faith, even after God has saved us, gifted us with the power of his Holy Spirit, we will still face desperate heart-wrenching circumstances don't listen to anybody who tells you that in christ god is going to turn your entire world into some version of neverland that's ridiculous it's not true yet god is good God is good, and he is also eager to show us his love. He's eager to show it to us, and I want to bring that out of our text today. So let's begin in Psalm 107, verse 1, what it says. Oh, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. This concept of loving kindness that you're looking at right here in Psalm 107 is represented in the Old Testament alone over 170 times. God wants you to know and understand quite a few things about his loving kindness. And here's what's neat. A lot of the times, I'm tempted to say most, but a lot of the times you see this this concept, this word, loving kindness, in the Old Testament, it's in the midst of God acting on behalf of his people. God shows us his loving kindness. Um, This is the difference between like telling your spouse, I love you, and pulling off that weekend getaway. One of those two things usually works better than the other. In Psalm 107, God shows his loving kindness through redemption. I'm going to drop the psalm and I'm going to insert a word and I want us all to just soak this in for just a minute. God shows me his loving kindness through redemption. And if you're taking notes, feel free to go ahead and put your name in there. God shows Michael his loving kindness through redemption. And showing, speaking of showing, that is exactly how Psalm 107 continues, the the. the The heart of Psalm 107 are four stories uh, that show God saving people. In each and every story, we have a different group of people—four different groups of people—going through a four-step redemption process. Okay, (laughs) we have a group. We have wanderers, we have prisoners, fools, and merchants. And in each. Each one of their situations that we find, they walk through a four-step process. First, we learn about their condition. Next, we see them cry out to God. Then we get to see how God saves them. Then they respond to that salvation. So this is what I wanna do first off. I want you to go ahead and and look at your Bible. We're gonna start in verse four. I'm just going to read through one of these four stories for you, it's not very long, and just point out what I'm talking about here. I think that'll help give you a flavor for the rest of our time together. So here's Psalm 107, I'm beginning at verse 4 now. Some or they, some people wandered. So this is this is our wanderers and this is their condition. The story begins by telling us their circumstances. The wanderers are in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them, okay? That's their condition. Now the story moves on. The next step is they cry out to God, verse six. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. That's the cry. Next phase is the redemption phase. Look what God does for them. He delivered them out of their distress. He led them by a straight way to go to an inhabited city, okay? Step four, now the next two verses are their response Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for the wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. We have our four groups of people, each going through a four-step process. And each story communicates how God saves and we respond with praise. Okay? So I'm gonna back us up and we're gonna dig in a little deeper into the conditions of our four groups and then we'll walk through the, the, the process together. Look, look back with me at verse four. They wandered in the wilderness in the desert region. We just read this. Uh, they were hungry and thirsty. Um, they, they did not find their way to a city. These people are going to die. That's the context here. These people are going to die they are wandering in, not passing through a wilderness. They will not survive. Supplies will run out. And to add to their misery, they, they can't find their way to an inhabited city. Now, that phrase, inhabited city, may just strike you like, well, that's a place where people live, and that's part of it. But there's far more to the context of a city in this setting than, than meets the eye, all right? Here's the thing. If you're wandering in the desert 3,000 years ago, you were alone. Without a city, you didn't have an identity. You didn't have security. You didn't have community. You were vulnerable, and you were on your own. To have no city to dwell in is to be alone. Fortune magazine read an article in June of last year. The title of it was, Chronic Loneliness is a Modern-Day Epidemic. And the opening sentiment of, of that article on loneliness reads like this: Humans are not designed to be solitary creatures. The need to interact is deeply ingrained in our genetic code. Full disclosure, this is not this article is not written from a Christian perspective, not even close. But it is fun to pause and uh, recognize every once in a while when science finally catches up with the Word of God. right? <laughs> So, this is certainly true. We were definitely not designed to be solitary creatures. Loneliness, dryness of soul, uh, not, not having a sense of value, not having direction or purpose, these things hurt. This is not a good condition to be in. Um. When my first worship leading job came to an end, I went looking for another one, and so I did what you're supposed to do. I got my resume together, I talked to the people I needed to talk to, and I packaged all that, made sure it looked really nice, and I sent it out. And then I waited. Just like you're waiting right now. I got nothing back, nothing. No one was interested in even talking to me about being the worship leader at their church. I was in my mid-twenties. I was married, and I had two small children and a jazz degree. (laughs) I'm glad you can laugh about that now. You see, I have heard jokes about the uselessness of certain college degrees where the punchline is jazz. (laughs) It's funny now. It was not funny then. I began to doubt everything I felt God was calling me to do. Everything. I was scared. I freely confess to you I lost heart. I lost it. I did not know what to do. And I'm sure for many of you, uh, facing a variety of circumstances, you're in the same spot. Maybe you're lost. Maybe you're dry. The lesson God has for you out of Psalm 107 is that he can save you. The Lord redeems out of situations like that. The next two, two group of people in our storyline here are the prisoners and the fools. We just looked at the wanderers, the prisoners and the fools. I just want to draw one observation out of the conditions of these two groups and then we're going to move right on to the fourth group. And, and this is this. There is a little shift in the this, in this story now. There's a little turn. You see, unlike the first group, unlike the wanderers, the prisoners and the fools... With the prisoners and the fools, God now identifies a reason that brought about the condition. God identifies a reason. He points to the reason that the prisoners and the fools find themselves in the situation that they are. Let me point this out for you from the text. Um, Verse 11. Here are the prisoners. Here are the reasons the prisoners are in their chains. For they had rebelled against the word of God and they had spurned the counsel of the most high the fools this is why they're in their situation some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction so even when even when our condition is a direct result of the decisions that we have made Even when our conditions is a direct result of our own decisions, even then, even then God saves. You see, we're looking at four stories, right? These are four stories about God doing what? God is saving. I heard a lot of S's out there. These are four stories about God saving. These are four stories about redemption, not condemnation. Now, my my ministry and experience has taught me something, um, that when God works and when God is drawing someone to himself, when God is in the process of doing that, the enemy is going to put as many obstacles in his way as he possibly can. God is drawing somebody, the the adversary, he throws in fear. He throws uh, throws in doubt. He throws in circumstance. He throws in guilt and parties and all sorts of stuff. Okay, And what happens for these people from the outside looking in? They look and they see, they see the forgiveness that we talk about. They hear about the shame being washed away. They witness a little bit of the joy that we celebrate together. And for some reason, because of their experience in life, because of what they've suffered from their own decisions, they somehow think that that is out of their reach. They just can't get there. That is not the case. That is not true. You see, God knows what you've done. He's God. He knows what you've done. He knows who you have hurt. And he knows what you have seen. He's drawing you anyways. And here's the lesson. Look, God's ability to save you has zero to do with your ability to reach him. Zero. God, when he saves you, he comes to you. He comes to you. All right, let's move on and look at our fourth group here, the group um, that I have labeled the merchants. This is my favorite group. My favorite group are the merchants. We've looked at the condition of the wanderers. We've talked a little bit about our prisoners and our fools. Let's look at the conditions of the merchants. Verse 23 from Han. Uh, Psalm 107. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters. And curtain. That's it. That's all we know about the condition of the merchants. Isn't that interesting? Now, the categories that we're dealing with I want us to do a little exercise. I want you to take a minute and try and insert yourself into the story. Wanderers, prisoners, fools, merchants. Just by virtue of the title and the name that I've given them, I want you to try and just take a pause minute and insert yourself into these categories and just reflect on it a little bit with me, okay? Here we go, ready? Wanderers. Eh. no thank you. Prisoners, I will pass on that condition. Fools. Depends on who you ask. But merchants? I'll be a merchant. There's nothing good or bad about being a merchant. Is there? No. But this is the thing. Listen. From their own perspective, they're just fine. They're fine. They're doing great. Working hard. I'm making money. I'm enjoying life. Maybe you're thinking that. I don't need savings. Well, neither do the merchants in Psalm 107. I don't need saving, Michael. I'm fine. I've got this. Yeah, stuff comes up now and again, but I deal with it. I got my boat. Business is booming. Got my family, my friends. In fact, come to think of it, I'm killing this. I do not need saving. Now, this may surprise you in this moment, but uh, I am not going to try and convince you otherwise. I don't mind trying to convince you. Hit me up for coffee sometime. We'll talk. It's a perfectly valid effort. However, I'm not going to try and convince you. You know why? Because that is not the lesson of Psalm 107. Because here, like my ability to convince you, my ability to wield the skills of apologetics, okay, Whatever I can bring to you to try and convince you you need saving pales in comparison to the power of God. Now you see, our merchants are on the water. They're doing just fine until God puts his power on display. Let's take a look at what happens to our merchants in verse 24. They have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. All right, we're doing great. Business is thriving. Our gadgets are selling out, man. But now we have a problem. Now I'm on a boat in the middle of an ocean, and I'm looking at a wave that blocks my view of the sky. I'm looking into the trough of a wave where it looks like I'm looking into the depth of the earth. And all of a sudden, all of my swag counts for absolutely nothing. The waves rose up to the heavens, went down to the depths. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. I'm done. For some, for some, God brings a realization of the need for redemption with a display of an experience in his power. Listen, listen to me, please. Listen, God loves you. God loves you. He loves you so much, he just might put you into the middle of a storm to bring you to that place will you acknowledge that you need him? You need him. Now, I cannot say it any better than Charles Simeon, who is one of Mark Crane's favorite theologians, so I'm sucking up a little bit right now. (laughs) Those whom God loves, he awakens from their security. He sends his Holy Spirit to convince them of sin. He stirs them up to fervent prayer, and then he answers their prayer, and he speaks peace to their souls. God did send the storm. God did send the storm. But to that storm, God brings peace. To that storm, God brings peace. What do the merchants do? They cry out to God from uh, verse 28 then they cried to the lord in the trouble and the lord brought them out of their distress he caused the storm to be still so that the ways of the sea were hushed then they were glad because they were quiet so he guided them to their desired haven well well now look what god is doing god is now moving god is now redeeming we are now in the redemption Stage As we like to say here at New Hope, God is on the move. Remember our wanderers? Our wanderers in the desert, look at what God does for them from verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distress. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. Our wanderers make it. They make it to their city. Now I want to pause right now And there is a lesson in God's redemption of our wanderers here that I I just cannot pass up. There's a lesson here we have to pause and look at. Um, I believe it comes out a little more clearly in the English Standard Version translation, so I'm going to put Psalm 1077 up here, but this is now a slightly different translation, and let's take a look. God led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. In the redemption process for the wanderers, the wanderers are saved and still in the desert. Did you see that? The wanderers are saved and still in the desert. They're still going through it. The difference now is that God is leading them home. Everybody goes through it. Everybody goes through it. God forbid we become a church that that's kind of like something we sweep under the rug. Not so. I mean, you either have just gone through it, you're going through it right now, or very soon in the future, you're going to be going through it. This is just part of being human, but, but be encouraged. The wanderers are saved and still in the desert. The difference now is that God is leading them home. I don't want to be insensitive to you, but I do feel compelled to say it this way, direct and to the point. In Christ, that's as bad as it can get. In Christ, that is as bad as it can get. You're in a trial, you're in a desert, and God is leading you home. Because the end game of all of God's redemptive work for every believer is the security, community, and identity that we experience in eternity with God. And the main point here in the redemption process from 107, um, I would encourage you this week if you have time, go and read those four stories for yourself. Here's a little study. Go and examine, make a list of all the needs, of all the conditions that are present in these stories. And watch how in the redemptive phase, God meets every single need, every condition, every circumstance they find themselves in. God, in turn, saves the day. There is no stone unturned. Chains break for prisoners. Self-inflicted pain is healed, and the wanderers find refuge. Maybe you have prayed your eyes out and saving has yet to come. Take heart, take heart in what we're looking at today. What I would pray God would do for you is to strengthen you, strengthen you that you would renew your commitment to follow his lead and that we would all sense his presence. Um, Ever met somebody famous? a uh, politician maybe, athlete, something like that. Um, I met Mitt Romney once, I did, and this is not political, don't, don't do that to me, all right? <laughs> but I did, I, I have a good friend who had an opportunity, so Mitt Romney made a, a campaign stop a couple years ago in Holt, and then I was one of four people that got to greet him personally as he arrived at the event, and um, I don't get nervous very easily, and maybe that's one of my problems, um, that I don't get nervous, but I don't. And so up until about 10 minutes before Mitt showed up, I mean, I'm, I'm fine. I'm watching stuff, you know. I, I think they gave me a tag. I don't remember. But we're hanging out. We're doing their thing. But, but you see, as the time came for, uh, for Mitt to show up, the activity level increased significantly. People were moving around everywhere. And those black Suburbans, do you know which ones I'm talking about? Those black Suburbans, you know if they show up in a movie, somebody disappears? Those things roll in and armed secret service agents walk out, they got their hand on their ear like this, and I'm getting nervous. I'm standing there, I'm thinking, what am I gonna say to this guy? I very well may be saying hello to the next president of the United States. My hands started to sweat, and I'm thinking, Mitt's going to think I got a perspiration problem. My heart's racing, and I was in the presence of a guy who lost the election. <laughs> Listen, God is in our midst. God is in our midst, and he is mighty to save. So cry out to him. Cry out to him. Like the people in our stories. And don't get a false idea about some hero with some battle cry. That is not it. The main concept between in our psalm for each cry is shriek. Shriek. There is no strength, zero strength conveyed in these cries. The lesson for us there is this. Neither you nor your cry need to be strong to cry out to God. Neither you nor your cry need to be strong to cry out to God. Do you have a need? Are you in a pinch? Is money tight? Employment rough? Do you find yourselves on websites again and again that you know you should not be on? Is your marriage in a tough spot? Is one of your kids on self-destruct? Are you too often finding the bottom of a bottle? Cry out to God. God saves. When I was younger my family took two trips to Western Montana. And we had friends that owned property out there. And um, anybody ever been, by the way, Western Montana, Glacier Area, National Park? Yeah, you know then, it is gorgeous out there, gorgeous. And one morning, my older brother and I, we grabbed a couple of fishing poles and we made our way down a small trail uh, to the Swan River, which borders uh, the property that our friends own. I remember, uh, I do remember it was a cold day. It was chillier and there was a drizzle in the air. Um, I remember that partly because I still remember the jacket I was wearing. I was wearing like a a blue and green windbreaker. But remember now, we're in the early 90s and this jacket was old, so think 80s, yeah. If I would still have that jacket, I'd be so cool. So needless to say, the blue and the green were quite loud. We get to the river and um, I just begin making my way to the place that I want to fish at. And I'm walking in the river, and uh, the river, the bottom is all rocks, all rocks. And by the way, speaking, it's, think a little narrower than this auditorium, just a little narrower than that. And I'm wading my, myself out into this river, and I'm being very careful because the, the river is pushing against me, and I have to make sure that my foot has uh, got enough grip on these rocks over here. And I'm, I'm making my way, I'm going slow, I'm being careful. The water's getting deeper and deeper when suddenly, and I'm not sure you could slip in a river any other way than suddenly, <laughs> but suddenly I lost my footing. Now here's the thing. At that moment, you have an instant lesson in physics. Here's what happened that I was not expecting. When, when you slip in a river and it takes you, you, you go to the bottom. Like at least at first initially, maybe you pop up downstream, I don't know. But when it slips you, wham, you go under the water. And here's the thing, because every time I'd fall in the water, it had been in a lake, and when you fall in a lake, you pop right back up. Not so in a river, take my word for it. When it swipes you under, I mean, you might as well be a sandbag bouncing along the bottom of this river. Uh, now that's all fun and games, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, however, for me that day, there was, uh, that was a problem. Because you see, I had slipped and fallen not far upstream from a bend in the river. And for those of you who know rivers, things collect at bends and rivers. And I had, I had slipped just, I don't know, eight feet in front of a log jam. So river takes me, I go down to the bottom, and I get wedged underneath this log jam. Now the river isn't very deep. I'm trying to get my footing and stand up but there's debris above me and I can't. I'm pushing and slipping and I can't stand up. Um, I, did, I do remember facing the current and trying to see if I could go up but I was, that was a losing proposition all in all. I was not under the water for very long but I do remember being under long enough to have thought to myself, I'm gonna die. Now, I wasn't under very long. I say that because what I did not know is that I had chosen to approach my fishing spot by wading through the water. My older brother James had made a much wiser decision and he had chosen to walk along the bank of the river. And what I did not know when I had slipped is that my older brother having walked along the bank, in the moment that I had slipped, he was standing right on top of the log jam, just standing there, and he was watching me cross, had watched me slip, and just like, like a video game, had watched me come and, and get jammed right under that log jam. Now, I emphasize older brother for a reason because it kind of matters. Um, at that, I was 13 or 14, James was 16 or 17, and think about in terms of the way that God takes a boy physically and turns him into a man, God had not even thought about doing that for me yet. <laughs> James was well, well on his way. And with my nice, bright, loud blue and green parka that I had on, my older brother was able to simply see me, reach his hand down through the log jam, and with a few wiggles and pulls, just lift me right out of the water. After I gained my composure and caught my breath... Does anybody want to guess the first thing I said? It was something along the lines of, thank you. Because when you get saved, you say, thank you. You say, thank you. Each of these four parables that we're looking at, the four stories of redemption, note, they do not end after redemption. There is more. The people that were redeemed, the people that were saved, respond with praise. God saves, we praise. I was in a real outline-y kind of mood this week. I did so many outlines preparing for this message. Um, But I want to do, I just want to show you one of them, okay? It's not all going to fit up there. We're going to look at it in two pieces, two or three pieces. But I want to show you an outline of all the ways that our wanderers, prisoners, fools, and merchants respond to their salvation and this is how i want us to look at it very simply this um we who's been saved again it some of you been saved some of us have been saved so what that means is we respond i want us to look at the responses of these people as instructive to how we are supposed to respond we need to compare ourselves how are we responding how are they responding let's examine this okay so i'm just going to throw this outline up here and i'm just going to unload on you so get ready Okay, in the responses in, one, in Psalm 107, the actions are eight times they thank God. Eight times. They offer sacrifices. They tell. They sing. They extol. They praise. Twice in the responses in story number one and number two that you're looking up right on the screen, twice of the four, the response includes at the end of the response, a retelling of the salvation story. You know what that is? That is your testimony. And there's lots of repetition in here. Do you remember me saying eight different times they respond with Thanksgiving? Lots of repetition. They repeated a lot. I could sing of your love forever. A lot of blank faces. I could sing of your love. Do you, anybody know that song? It's okay if you don't know that song. Uh, that was a song we used to sing in church about how God's love goes on forever that never seemed to end. But my point is, there's a lot of repetition here in this response. And also, um, there's gotta be some joyful singing in there. Joyful singing. Group number three. And three Thank the good Lord, because now the worship pastor can be confident he still has his job. There is worship in here, joyful singing. And yes, I do notice, in case some of you are looking at that right now, it is the redeemed fools that sing the joyful songs, but I am perfectly okay with that. No problems. Now, also, notice, notice the perfect, there is a perfect crescendo of praise in this psalm. With each group that gets saved, there is one more action, one more step of praise. Your first group responds with two actions. Your, the, the next group goes up to three. The next group goes up to four. You guys see a pattern here? The next group goes up to five. And this, this very well articulates the truth from Psalm 71. Take a look at this with me. But as for me, I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more and more and more, my mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long, for I do not know the sum of them. And enjoy with me too, um, before our merchants, remember our merchants in the boat with the, the, the sea and the storm? Before they break into their Thanksgiving chorus, they, we learned that they were glad we're glad. That's, that's, the, that's the increase in the last story. And, and pay attention. Look, this is not an act of gladness. This is not an act of gladness. This is straight up happiness of heart. This is rejoicing. This is how they feel. This is how they feel. So somewhere, sometime, for every single one of you, this is what I hope for you. In your life of response to God, I really do hope that you leave some room in there where you can just be really, really happy about it. One more observation about uh, response and then we're gonna close. For those of you, if you got your Bible open, I want you to take note of five different phrases that exist in the first half of the psalm. In verse 1, in verse 8, 15, 21 and 31 for those of you who are taking notes you see either oh give thanks or let them give thanks oh give thanks that's the first words in the psalm and then let them give thanks here's the fun part that english rendering of that sentiment is actually a single hebrew word that is repeated and for those of us who've been around here and sat under Mark's teaching long enough, have heard, and he has said, in that culture, in that language, that's how they would communicate emphasis. We might put a bunch of exclamation points after something. In Hebrew, you repeat the word. All right? This is so cool. Let's look at this word together. Oh, give thanks. Give thanks is actually this Yada. To throw to shoot, to cast. What an exciting and insightful instruction on praise. You know what God is saying? God is saying, when you're telling the story about how I saved you, when you're in worship with your brother and sisters, when you praise, it's going to be like that. You're going to throw it. You're gonna use the body God gave you. You're gonna fill the lungs that God gave you, and you're gonna throw it. And so, the the question I think that we need to ask ourselves if, if this is the giving thanks that God is asking us to respond to Him with, this is the question I think we need to ask ourselves. How far can it go? How far can our praise response go? Will it get as far as my spouse? Will it get as far as my uh, kids? Will my kids get to hear me tell them how God has saved me? Will my neighbors get to hear? How about the guy in the cubicle next to you at work? And look, how about around our community here, New Hope? Will they get to hear the joy and the gladness of our telling of how God has saved us? How far can we throw it? You know, uh, New Hope uh, supports quite a few missionaries, and uh, one of them is a friend. Well, I have some, a lot of them are friends of mine. Uh, one of them, um, Aaron Gortmaker, uh, the church supports him. And I'm looking at the clock, and I have the time, so I'm going to just briefly tell you the story about how Aaron and I met. Uh, my wife and I showed up late to one of our church picnics, and for those of you who know me or my wife, you know that us being late to something isn't. That's not unusual. So we had to look around, it's okay, that's funny. (laughs) You're like, dude, is your wife gonna listen to this later? Yeah, it's all good. But so we showed up and so we found a spot at the table and we sat down and started getting um, our stuff together and we turned around and Aaron was sitting there with his family, Aaron and Cassie and their kids. And so I introduced myself to Aaron and what I found out was that (laughs) Aaron, that morning, that very morning, was the very first Sunday he had ever been to New Hope in his life. And he had heard about our picnic and thought, I'll go. And I just thought, you're my kind of guy. I, I like that, a little, you know, of get in there with him. Aaron and his wife, Cassie, recently took their entire family to Costa Rica. So, Aaron, if you're watching, buddy, well thrown. That is a throw that we should all admire and support. Take a look on our website if you have a chance. Go ahead and look at the faces. Read the stories of the missionaries that New Hope supports. They're throwing. They're throwing the long ball. And we should too. Because as sure as the sun rose this morning, the glory of God will cover the earth for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All right, church, uh, I'm a do kind of guy. I like learning, I like understanding and perceiving, but I feel like we gotta do it. So I, to get us out of here, I wanna give us a brief opportunity to, to throw our praise, all right? Are you with me? You made me a little nervous with the way you responded. So that's okay. And this is how it's going to go. Craig, do we we have that slide? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to read that first line, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, then you're going to respond by throwing out those next two verses. And here's the thing. If we all sound bored when we say it, we are not leaving. I grew up in a church where there was a lot of reading together, and it scarred me. It was boring. And so we don't do that a lot here, and that's why. I don't want us to get in this habit of, 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 of lazy things. But for today, Would you throw this with me? Can we wake up a few neighbors? I'm seeing a lot of smiles. It better be loud in here. Okay, let's do it. Let's throw this out. Come on, stand up. You're not gonna sit down and do this very well. We're gonna throw this out, right? I got got one up here. My turn, I'm gonna say one line. You throw it back at me. Um, Look at how big I wrote it for you. Does that not communicate (laughs) to you what I'm talking about? Are you ready? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he's good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Give him applause. It has been good to be with you all. New Hope Church, God saves. Go in peace. Amen.